0: Welcome to The Chase Podcast. Dr. Ron Charles is a renowned archaeologist, author, historian, speaker, missionary, and is known as the Christian Indiana Jones. Dr. Charles has spent over 50 years researching and uncovering truths about Jesus Christ and information that proves the historical authenticity of the Bible. Gleaned from his years of tireless research ministry, and archaeological work as the pages of the Bible come to life like never before. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and information about this global ministry. Hello, I'm Dr. Ron Charles. Thanks for tuning in to the program today. You know, we're talking about uh, Jesus and uh, what has been classified as the Sermon on the Mount. It actually wasn't uh, a sermon to the multitudes, as you see on 20th Century Fox or Metro Golden Mare. This uh, teaching called the Sermon on the Mount was given to Jesus' six disciples at the time. You had Philip, you had the Nathaniel, Bartholomew, you had Peter and Andrew and James and John, and so you had these six first called disciples. Now, these uh, disciples were, uh, had certainly been under the influence of the uh, teachings of the Pharisees and religious leaders up to this point. But now they were going to join Jesus. They were going to go with him as he went out to do his ministry, as he healed the sick, as he taught, as he uh, showed the world a brand new method is that love is what is more important than anything else love and acceptance forgiveness something that uh that the jews were not uh, familiar with they hadn't forgiven anybody since uh since the time of the kings and um and so now jesus was saying something that hadn't been preached in centuries to the jewish people but jesus said This is how it must be. This is how I uh, live. This is how I teach. And if you're gonna be my disciple, then you too must adopt it. And we see this very first teaching to these first disciples on this uh, sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It was a a teaching to them. Now, initially, uh, Jesus uh, told them what he expected from them. This is my philosophy. This is my uh, way of looking at things, my way of life. And now, not only do I want you as my disciples to adopt this, I want you to believe in it. I want you to accept it uh, into your life as your way of life also. Not because I'm demanding it of you, but because you know that it's the right thing to do. And so he taught them initially with what, jesus felt he said blessed are the mournful blessed are those who seek after righteousness blessed are the peacemakers all of these things were totally contrary to what they had been taught by the pharisees and by the religious leaders of the jews jesus was opening a brand new book to them a brand new book that was that was opened that they'd never heard of never seen never even thought about but here Jesus was living it and they were going to do their best to do the same thing now after Jesus introduced them to his own philosophy then he began to talk to them, and he says to my father you are the most precious thing there is and he used the analogy of salt now the salt analogy uh, was um, was quite effective because at that time, salt was actually more valuable than gold or silver. The Roman military would go into countries, many of these countries, for the purpose of seizing salt mines or exposed salt flats. As a matter of fact, when Julius Caesar invaded uh, what is now the country of Austria he did so for the primary purpose of seizing the salt mines of Halsted, uh Halstead Austria and uh, because salt by them had become an indispensable commodity now salt really came into its own under Alexander the Great um, Alexander uh, found out pretty quickly that if he fed his soldiers meat uh, before uh, the night before a major battle or the day before a major battle, that his soldiers would have more strength and they would have more ability. They would have more stamina uh, on the the field. And so on the day before or the night before an impending battle for the next day, that he fed his soldiers meat. Now, this was fine. The supply lines were fine as long as he was in Macedonia, as long as he was in Greece. But when his army crossed the Basarus and went into uh, Persia, uh, into present-day Turkey, then it became more difficult because the supply lines became so long uh, that meat just wouldn't keep. And the soldiers wouldn't be able to, uh, to eat it. Now, one of uh, the generals of Alexander was uh, was out hunting, and um, he was uh, he killed some rabbits, and he uh, uh, it started to rain on him. So he he ran inside of a cave that was near there, and uh, while he was there waiting for the rain to to stop, he uh, skinned the rabbits, and he was just gonna uh, skin them and, and then take them with him back to his camp. And so as he, uh, was, uh, skinning these rabbits, then, uh, the messenger came and, uh, called him by name and says, uh, Alexander is, is looking for you. You must come now. And so he didn't, uh, hesitate. He took these half skinned rabbits and, and threw them over the corner of a, of the cave and, and took off and, uh, kind of forgot about them. But what had happened is that when he threw those rabbits that were half-skinned over uh, into the corner, they uh, landed on top of an, of an exposed salt vein that was, in, uh, that was in that cave. Now, he was back hunting uh, about two or three weeks after that, and um, it started raining again. He went to a salt shelter in the same cave, and uh, he noticed that that the, uh, that the meat of these rabbits uh, had not spoiled. Uh, they seemed to have uh, been drained of, of their blood, but uh, they weren't rotted, they weren't spoiled, they weren't decayed in any way. And that's how it was first discovered by mankind that salt was a preserver. It pulls the blood out of meat and preserves that meat for extended periods of time. Well, but... Uh, Alexander began to do that, and and he marched all the way to India and laid siege to India and then uh, came on back to Babylon. That entire route, uh, every time, every day before a major battle, he would serve his army meat, and that meat that had been preserved by salt was a great, great asset to this Uh, battle plan that uh, Alexander developed. Well by the time the Romans came on came on the scene uh, 300 years afterwards then salt was no longer a um, uh, something that was a privileged class. It was no longer uh, uh, something that only the rich would have. Kind of like today you know a hundred years ago, an icebox was uh, pretty standard in homes. Uh, a refrigerator was not even heard of. Uh, by the World War II, refrigerators began to take the place of iceboxes, and uh, so. Uh, but even then, it was considered a luxury. Uh, iceboxes still was still the the uh, the main uh, way of preserving uh, the food. The refrigerators were fantastic. And, but they were kind of for the privileged and uh, those who, who could afford it but nowadays a refrigerator is mandatory even the uh, most poverty-stricken of people would still have a refrigerator in today's america this was a case with salt uh, by the time the romans came on the seat uh, salt was no longer a luxury it was no longer something that was only uh, used by the rich and was kept by the rich it was now everyday use and it was mandatory for daily daily uh, uh, involvement with families all over the Roman Empire and so salt was in great 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 demand and in uh, many instances salt actually had more value than gold or silver So Jesus is telling his disciples, you are more precious than gold and silver in the eyes of God. You are salt. You are the most precious commodity in the world and certainly the most precious to me. But at that time, the largest exposed uh, source of salt in the world was the salt flats of the Dead Sea in judea presently the dead sea still is the most salty uh, body of water in the world and so what the romans did what uh, augustus caesar agreed to and what tiberius caesar continued to agree to is that if the jewish people the judeans would gather up salt and ship that salt to Rome, then they could pay one half of their tax liability to Rome in salt. It was a good deal for the Judeans because it was free, free salt. All they had to do was load it up and ship it off. And then Rome would cut their tax liability in half, which they did do. And so the Judeans were uh were quite active in uh in harvesting this salt and sending it to Rome. And what Rome would do is they would wait until they had a number of ships uh that were in uh, that were in dock in in uh, Haffa or in uh Joppa, uh Caesarea Maritima, And uh they would wait until they had maybe eight or ten or twelve ships uh, uh to ship to uh in a caravan to Rome. And so what would happen is that they would load, the Judeans would load the ship up with salt. They would cover it to protect it from rain and such, and then they would then go to the next ship and do the same thing. Well, these zealots that uh, were in the Galilee who hated the Romans and wanted to do everything that they could to sabotage anything that was roman would sneak under under the cover of night and they would go underneath these covers where the salt was located on the ships while the ships were parked in the uh, in the harbor and they would mix dirt and with the salt well by the and the the romans didn't know uh, what had happened and so on the way to rome uh, these caravans then the salt would begin to have a chemical reaction with the dirt. And this is what is called the salt losing its savor. By the time the ships got to Rome, then the salt had too much dirt to be any good for salt and the dirt had too much salt to be any good for dirt. And so, what Jesus is telling his disciples is this: He says, "You can't compromise. You can't bring the world into your preciousness. You can't uh, you can't uh, uh, play with the world and expect to be accepted by God as one of His elite, and one of His greatest, and one of His chosen. And you can't." You, you can't allow this to happen because if you do, you're going to have too much of the world to be good for God and too much of God to be good for the world. Now at that time, Rome was building roads all over the world. And they discovered that if you lay a layer of this dirt salt down in the roadbed, that grass that would normally grow up into the, the road would be stopped and the grass would not grow up into the road and would not weaken the road and cause the road to crack and develop holes in it. And so what Augustus Caesar began to do is he began to, uh, you know, initially they would just dump this salt, uh, dirt mixture over into the, into the sea. But uh, as he uh, discovered the, a good use for this, He would put a layer of this uh, salt-dirt mixture in the roadbed, and it actually would stop the grass from growing up into the road. And now these roads not only would last for months, but last for years. As a matter of fact, I've even traveled on Roman roads myself that were built 2,000 years ago and are still being used today. And the reason why they're still being used because the elements have not destroyed it because of this layer of salt, dirt mixture. And so actually, Jesus was absolutely right when he says that salt has lost its savor. is good for nothing and to be thrown out and to be trodden underfoot of men. And that's exactly what it is. Trodden underfoot of men as a roadbed On roads that men travel on and so Jesus is telling these disciples guys you know how I feel you know my heart you know the things that I live by the principles that I adopt and not only adopt but live by but now you need to know something because you are my disciple because I have chosen you you are indeed the apple of God's eye. You're more precious to him than gold and silver. You're the most precious thing there is on the earth. But if you compromise that preciousness with the world, if you compromise your beliefs, you compromise your your, uh, ministry, if you compromise your position and bring the world into it then you're going to lose your preciousness you'll have too much of the world to be any good for god and you'll have too much of god to be any good for the world you'll be worthless and nothing would be good for you other than to be run over by everybody and so just don't do it keep yourself pure do not compromise. And then there was a uh, Herod the Great would build uh, warning cities all over uh, the uh, Judea and the Galilee area. These warning cities would, uh, would warn of enemy approaching. Now these cities were set on a high hill in a region, the highest hill in a region, and it was four corners or four sides, a perfect square. And anyone uh, in, in the valleys or, or in the general area, they could look up to that city, and they could uh, uh, they could know if any enemy was approaching. And what would happen, they would have a, uh, uh, a flare, uh, you know, a, a fire flare at night, but then flags in the daytime. And so if there was a uh, if there was a, a a yellow flag on the north wall of this city, when people looked up and saw that, they say all is clear, no problem. But if there was a red flag up on that north wall, it meant enemy had been sighted. You need to make your way to the security of the uh, warning city now. Begin to make your way there for your for your safety. Now, if there was a red flag on the north wall and the east wall, it meant that the enemy was heading towards the warning city and it was going to be under attack. Come into the safety now. Now, if there was a red flag on the west, the east and the north, it meant they were under attack. And so if you are going to get there, you got to get there now. But they were now under attack. And then when there was a red flag on all four walls, it meant they were under siege. Gates were closed. You can no longer come into the safety of the city. Find safety someplace else. And then when a black flag was raised on the north wall and the other red flags came down, it meant the city had fallen. And so the warning city had a specific purpose. They also had privileges. If you lived in that city and if you wanted to live in that city, you were tax-free. You didn't have to pay taxes to Rome or to anybody. You also received a stipends from, uh, from the Roman government as payment. Uh, you're, uh, you, you're, you're a Roman citizen and uh, that citizenship passed down to your children, even your grandchildren. And so you had those great privileges, but the privileges came with responsibility. And the responsibility was to warn of danger. And then those that came and sought security in you or in that city, you had to take care of them and to protect them. Jesus is telling his disciples, says, you guys are that warning city set on a hill. You're responsible to warn people of the dangers of evil. You're uh, not only do you warn them, but when they come to you to ask questions, to seek help, to seek security, you have to be there and give it to them. You have to give them counsel. You have to give them food. You have to give them companionship. You have to help those people. And so Jesus said to these disciples, he said, it's not enough that you know where I'm coming from and you adopting the same thing. It's not enough that you're uh, the most precious thing in God's sight and you can't compromise. But you also can't hide. You are my disciple. And as my disciple, people are gonna know that you believe the same thing I believe. And so you can't hide. If you are going to reap the privileges of discipleship, then you also must know the responsibilities. And you must be willing to accept those responsibilities when people come to you for help help them when they come to you for uh, a shoulder to cry on let them when they come to you for comfort comfort them when they come to you for uh, counsel then do your best to be that godly guidance in their life because you are indeed a city this set on a hill if you don't want the responsibility fine don't accept the responsibility but if you are my disciple then you must accept your responsibility and do what you must do and the same goes with us today we are jesus's 21st century disciples today and all of you just like them who claim that you are a disciple of Jesus, then you are. You are his disciple. You believe what he believes, and you are out there doing his work, then you are his disciple. As such, then this teaching goes for you also. You are that city that's set on a hill. You can't hide. And because you can't hide, you must be open to give comfort, give help, and give support. The enemy doesn't choose the time that he attacks. He just attacks, which means that you as a disciple, you have to be on call 24 hours a day to help these people and to be that warning city as Jesus suggested to these disciples and is now suggesting to you. And you can do it or else he wouldn't have told you that you could do it. He wouldn't have chose you to be his disciple if he didn't think that you could carry out the responsibilities. Yes, you are precious in God's sight. Yes, you are more costly than gold and silver, but you also have a distinct responsibility. You've been given privileges. You've been given eternal life. You've been given his name to use as a name of authority you have been uh, considered now a child of god but as such you also have the responsibilities to helping those who come to you for help may the lord bless you today hi i'm dr ron charles of the cubit foundation you know we've been in middle east for going on 30 years and I would love to come to your church or your meeting to let you know what's happening uh, in reality in the Middle East. And uh, we'd love to come there and let you know what's happening, what the Lord's doing in that part of the world. So if you can contact us at thecubitfoundation.org, then we could come to your place. And if you would like to find out more about us, then go to www.cubitfoundation.org. Thank you. The chase with Dr. Ron Charles is sponsored by supporters of the Cubit Foundation. Visit cubitfoundation.org for Dr. Ron's books and discover how you can support this global ministry.